Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where we get into people's heads and find out how their choices in life has affected them. My name is Leslie Fear. I'm your host. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey, everyone. Today, I'm joined with specialist Eric Carrera. He served in the U.S. Army as a combat engineer. He's also the author of A Bomb Hunter Story. Welcome to the show, Eric. And thank you for having me. I'm very happy to have you with me today. Um, your story really intrigued me. I reached out in a group to find a guest that had a very unique occupation. And you reached out to me, and I couldn't believe what you did for the Army. And I would be scared to death to do the job you did. I'm not going to lie. Let's start at the beginning. Did you go into the military because it was something in your family? Did you just kind of feel led to that? Tell me your story. I did have uncles and older relatives that served in the U.S. Army and the German Army as well. Oh, wow. Okay. But, um, what happened with me was I was attending college at the time, and I wasn't participating per se, so I got kicked out of college my freshman year, and I did not know what I wanted to do at the time. I wasn't going to live at home and just get a regular job. I felt I needed to get away. So I had a few friends that actually joined the military a couple months before I decided. And I looked into it and I thought it would be the perfect thing for me. So that's how I decided. Well, you know what? A lot of people don't make it through college. So don't feel bad about that. I certainly didn't finish. So <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I got my associates and that's about all I got. But no, so you go ahead and you enlist. And what I want to know is, did you take tests to find out what you were assigned? Because I, I want you to tell the story. I don't want to give away exactly what you did. Uh, yeah, they give you a written a multiple choice test and they base it on a score. And I scored high enough where I could pick any job I wanted in the military. Very but nice. Being, <laughs> but being a kid, I always liked building and things like that. So when I came across combat engineer, uh, the description for combat engineer was clearing minefields and building obstacles. So that was something that kind of drew to me. But that description was mainly for World War II and Vietnam soldiers. Really? And during the Iraq War, that job changed. For combat engineers, it became route clearance. And uh, that was something that I didn't know about until I actually finally joined. Wow. So you didn't know what they were maybe doing was uh, seeing if you could do the kind of work you ended up doing. Uh, what I ended up doing was uh, clearing roadside bombs in Iraq. What mainly that is, is we have these special vehicles that are more bomb resistant than a normal Humvee and things of that nature, but they weren't unpenetrable. Um, right. We still did lose soldiers during my two tours. Oh, no. Um, but the thing is, is that the whole point is going down the road five miles an hour and looking out the window. Um, we were trained to find things out of place. That's the main thing that we would always have to look for. But the problem was, is that in Baghdad during my first deployment, there's literally trash everywhere. Um, there's it's like little mini landfills in the median of the road. Insurgents would come up with these elaborate ways to disguise IEDs, and it was our job to find them. Um, we would find IEDs in curbs, so the insurgents would literally take a chunk out of the curb and mold the IED into the curb and place it back in there. Wow. IEDs in vehicles, dead dogs, sometimes even humans that were lying on the side of the road, so that was another thing we would have to watch out for. 
it took uh, that's why we go five miles an hour down the road to catch all these things my goodness eric the things that you have seen i don't even know how you dealt with some of those things i can only imagine but let's go back so were there just you and two or three other guys was it a whole team of you who who all was involved on mission, we would go out between, I'll say, 16 and 20 guys, something like oh, that. Oh, wow. Okay. We would be in four vehicles, but we would have the specialized vehicle. I'm not sure if you ever seen the first Transformers movie. Mm-hmm. There's a mm-hmm. scene where Optimus Prime is battling a Decepticon on a highway. Well, the Decepticon is actually this vehicle called a Buffalo. Okay. That we use. It is a very large vehicle. And what it has is a big hydraulic crane on the front of this vehicle. And it would have what I could best describe as a spork-looking tool. And we would use this spork to interrogate different things on the side of the road, like trash bags, trash boxes, rugs, things like that, trying to move things around to see if there's actually an IED there or not. That was our main tool that we would use to wow. find these things. Well, because would they just like immediately ignite if they were touched? Is that kind of what how they work? There's a number of different ways. Uh, we would find beepers, cell phones, um, wires that are being traced to some building. So they could either be detonated by a cell phone, even a garage door opener. Oh, my gosh. Even a, a light switch, something like that. <laughs> the things that they would do would surprise a lot of us. We would find new things every day, um, even pressure wires. So sometimes we would find Christmas lights lying on the middle of the road that would look really suspicious. Yeah. Having a vehicle step on that and ignite. There's wow. things called EFPs, which is kind of like a laser that detects heat. So when a vehicle would go by, it detects the heat and that would even trigger the IEDs. Uh, things were endless that we would find. So, yeah, you were just like thrown to the wolves and you didn't even know what the wolves looked like. So, wow, that's very scary. I'm, I'm sure you're, did your family know that that was your assignment? I mean, I, I got to ask. I vaguely told my parents what I did. Um, it wasn't until last year when I decided to write the book. Um, my parents, my family really did not know what I did or what I went through. I suffered for about 10 years on trying to deal with the things that I went through. I tried therapy, things like that. And it wasn't, came to a point where I wasn't ready to tell my story. And about a year ago, I was finally ready. Things happened to me and I was finally ready to tell it. So I decided to put it all down on paper. And that's when my friends, family, things like that actually found out what I did. Wow. I don't know if you want to talk about any of the things that happened to you in your life, or at least at that time, totally up to you. But if you would like to discuss it, that really stuck with you and you had a hard time with. Uh, Yeah, of course. Um, As I said before, I lost four brothers in arms during my first deployment. Mm. Um, I was on mission all those times that it did happen. And I go through details of feelings, what was going on, what was happening during those times. And even... My own experiences of being blown up, too. Oh, as no. I've, as I've been blown up about two times, but 
guys in my platoon have been blown up three, four times before. So it's it's uh, it's an experience. And in my book, I explain the things that happen, procedures, things like that, what we go through. My and, goodness. Uh, it's an eye-opener because a lot of people don't actually know about us and what we did. And this book gives a first-hand thing of what we actually experienced. Absolutely. So what kind of gear were you wearing to protect you we have our regular body armor me I'm, I'm a bigger guy so i'm about six three i was one of the tallest guys in my platoon so i would be the gunner on most of the vehicles that we had mm, so okay. i would be on the top of the vehicle with different weaponry that we would take out sometimes i would have to wear a face shield for extra protection um, i never really worn it that much because it, it would bother me and things like that i mean just having all this gear right um, no it makes sense my, during my second deployment gunners were actually forced to wear these harnesses so i would have to wear this harness around my body and it would be attached to the floorboard below me because a lot of the times these ieds would explode and shoot the gunners out of their hatches and about 10, 20 feet up in the air, and then they would land on the ground. Wow. So that was another precaution that um, the military was taking that I never really liked, and that harness um, brought a lot of like uh, psychological things with me uh, after the military that I'm, I have worked on and still am working on. So. And it's probably things that you just didn't realize at the time that would stick with you. Now, you were in Iraq, and you served two tours there from 2005 to 2010. Now, did you guys have to go out every day? Was it every two days? Was it two times a week? How often were you doing this? We would do it six times a week. Wow. And during the time, it would be three different patrols. So those three platoons that would do this every day. Um, one would go out in the morning, one would go out in the afternoon, one would go out at night. And about every two, three weeks, we would rotate night shift, morning, afternoon shifts. And it was six days a week because the seventh day we would actually go down for maintenance. I actually did not realize this until after I actually wrote my book that I probably myself have done safely 300 to 400 combat missions in my two years. Wow. That I did. And usually units maybe only go out two, three times a week if that or stay out there for that long. So we were doing it every day. Um, breaks became less and less as time went on because we would soldiers would get hurt and couldn't continue mission. Were you in a particularly heavy area where there was a lot of, you know, fighting and, and war going on? I know there are some areas that may not be as much as other areas. Were you in one of the really war-torn areas? Yeah, um, as you said before, I served from 05 to 10, and I served in Baghdad from 06 to 07. That was oh, during the height okay. of the Iraq War. Um, wow. During that time, that was when uh, President Bush did the surge Yes. as well. So I was there when between ten to 20,000 new troops were coming in. I was there when that happened. And that was even when we got even more busier because there was even more troops going around. So it was our jobs to make sure roads were safe for them to move around. And, and on top of that, the Iraqis themselves fighting each other. It was the Sunnis and Shiites. Yes. So a lot of times we would find small engagements between them. And those things we couldn't even do about that because it was uh, frowned upon for any non-Muslim to touch, uh, a, a lack of a better word, dead Muslim. 
Um, those against their religion, those found to be desecrating the body if we did that. Oh, I gotcha. So sometimes, mm-hmm. so sometimes we would find these Iraqis in the streets for a couple of days because people were afraid to pick them up. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Let me ask you this. I'm sure the pressure was pretty much for you and your fellow combat engineers. It had the pressure of just keeping each other safe, but also keeping yourself safe. I mean, how was that for you? You know, was it every day? The stress levels. I, I don't know how you did that. Um, yeah, that's a lot of camaraderie. Um, I still friends with a lot of them that I served with because going through stuff like that develop a bond and you look out for each other even more. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. My my first deployment, I know we were busy almost every day because we would either find. We would either find an IED or a fake IED or get shot at like every other day. So it wasn't, there was always something going on. It was a pretty busy deployment, but my second deployment was a lot more calm. Uh, I ended up being in a town called Hilla, which is about an hour and a half south of Baghdad. Um, some of your listeners might know Hilla was where Saddam Hussein kept all of his mass graves. Oh, wow of the people that he killed during his uh, regime. So seeing that was really tough because the Iraqis there were really trying to rebuild the city after being destroyed all those years. Mm, mm. You said you were blown up twice. What were the extent of your injuries? Were you protected pretty well, or did you suffer more than, than I know? Um, no, I uh, the most I might have gotten during those engagements were like a concussion or really bad headache. Right. Okay. It wasn't nothing serious. Um, I was fortunate enough. Um, some of my fellow soldiers weren't, but right. um, it was an experience that I that I explain in my book that it's um, not nothing that you'll ever experience in your life. That's for sure. Well, let me ask you though, because you did the first deployment, which was sounds horrendous. You make it through that. What made you go back? Um, it was just our time, and the military uh, units rotate every year. So what it's supposed to be is you go on your deployment. But the thing was, my first deployment got extended a few times. Mm, okay. So we, then when we came back, it's supposed to be a year off. And then when they need you again, they send you out again. Being combat engineers, we were needed. So that's uh, one of the main jobs that was happening during the Iraq war. So that's when they sent out my unit back. So you really didn't have a choice. Oh, oh, I see. Okay. You really didn't have a choice. I see. Okay. Wow. Everything was extended and then they needed you again. And so they sent you wherever they sent you. That must, how did, were you devastated? Were you ready for a break? Were you okay with it? Were you like, no, we're going to go back. I got to protect you and they're going to protect me. And how did you feel about that? A lot of us were devastated because most of the soldiers that were there, I served during my first deployment. But a lot of us were were older and we were in leadership positions. So we got new soldiers during that year of break. So it was our jobs to train them, things like that. But we were one of the units that started the procedures on how to look for IEDs. So we knew what we were doing and more prepared than we were when we first did the first deployment. Right. So that's it was frustrating for some of us thinking that we had have to do it again. We were prepared to, and being the soldiers that were already there, we felt comfortable with each other. That was the main thing. We oh, didn't I'm have sure. to uh, ask questions. We knew right away what to do, and we put that on the younger soldiers, too, to be prepared for that. 
if things went bad or right because you know every day was a whole new situation for you guys whether you you didn't even know if you were going to come back all of you or if some of you wouldn't um that wow that must have been no wonder you really couldn't talk about it for 10 years so tell me about your book how much more in depth do you go do you do you talk about some of the stories just so i can uh, let the listeners know hey this might be a really good book to just understand your lifestyle back then I, I explain my time during basic training. Um, when I joined the military, I was severely overweight. So the struggles of me going through that, um, I was the main target with drill sergeants because I was one of the bigger guys. Um, I go explain everything I went through through basic training. I end up being stationed in Germany. So I take you through my time during in Germany, the experiences I went through there, my two deployments, I ended up staying in Germany because I really didn't want to go anywhere else and explain all the sad experiences I went through, things like that, and also some of the fun things that I went through with my fellow soldiers, too, to an extent. But it's a small chapter in a life of a soldier and what they experience right day to day in the military right no and it's got fantastic reviews and the cover by the way is really good and i don't know if you know this but i also write so i'm kind of a cover snob if you if you will <laughs> i know <laughs> but can you tell me some of the good things that happened to you there some of the fun things that happened um uh, being in germany it's a different world different experience yes <laughs> um, but um half german myself so i've visited family there so that's why one of the reasons i chose germany nice okay um, i kind of knew the culture and everything like that and sure you know to live there was a real good experience um times i do talk about different trainings that we did um some bar stories things like that so right. that's all in the book well hopefully you went to a german fest some kind of something there you know they had to have had those oh yeah i've been to a few october fests and folks fests and things like that they're, they're great times yeah they have some of those believe it or not um i'm in the dallas area and they have this big october fest in addison and it is so much fun well, of course, you can't do it right now with COVID, but I tell you, that's some of the funnest things uh, and times I've had with my husband. But they have just such a way, and it's everybody's welcome, and everybody's happy, and everything's great. And I don't care if it's polka music. I don't care. You're having a great time. It doesn't matter. <laughs> no, yeah. And that's what I loved about it. Okay, so when did you write the book? When did it come out? Um, I started the process of the book uh, in December of nineteen. I went through different things and I finally had my breakdown mm. and mm-hmm. I decided that it was time to talk about it. Right. Things were also happening with soldiers and family members of the soldiers that passed. Mm. Um, the okay. stories that were happening that I explained in the book, some of them were half true, some were lies. And me being there, I wanted to explain what really happened. Right. I started to make videos about it, but I felt that that wasn't going to get the message out. So that's when I decided to write the book. I started in March of 2020, and I published it in July of 2020. Wow. It didn't take you long to write that book. Um, no, the book was actually very therapeutic for me. It allowed me to be at peace for what I went through and what I did. And for the past year, I felt a lot better about myself and what I did. And I'm not afraid to express what I went through. Right. Well, you went through five years, Eric, of constant stress, looking for IEDs. Your life was constantly on the line. Um, I can only imagine what that did to your head. But I, you know, I had other questions, but I just think that 
it's better for them to read your book. My husband definitely wants to read it. So when he was so happy I was going to interview you, he was like, ask him this and ask him that. <laughs> so, but no, I mean, you're so interesting. And like I said, I can't imagine five years of six days a week, sometimes probably more of doing this with no breaks. You know, your mental state probably was the best. And it, I can understand why it took you so long to talk about it. Yeah, those years of trying to find ways to cope. I actually, I took up fish keeping. So for about five years, I kept saltwater fish. Oh, that nice. was really therapeutic for me. Right. Um, it's a tough hobby, but it kept my mind busy. It kept my mind focused on what I had to do. And then I was really able to enjoy it. Right. Um, uh, after a while, that wasn't really doing it for me anymore. That's kind of when I started having my breakdown. Mm. And mm. I felt better now. Now I, I'm i not in fish keeping anymore because I don't need that coping mechanism anymore. So I've stopped that. But yeah, that's another thing. Um, I do these podcasts because I know there's family members out there that really don't know how to deal with um fellow soldier that they have in their family. There's resources out there. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, did the military provide any kind of counseling for you guys? Or was that once you left, that was all up to you? In a sad way, yeah, it is almost up to us. Mm, um, that's, mm. that's another thing that I've noticed. I mean, you'll see commercials on TV about joining the military, things like that. But there's never commercials about where to find help. Um, the thing with me was I, after I left the military, I actually went back to college. And yeah. yeah, and I stumbled across a table in the library, and it was actually a veteran resource center. And they told me that there is actually a veteran resource center 10 blocks away from my house. And for seven years, I did not know that. You're kidding and, me. And I oh. finally got the courage enough to actually go. And I was going to therapy, but at the time, I wasn't ready to tell my story. I was feeling nauseous about what I was talking about, what I was feeling. Sure. And I, I said, well, I'm, I'm not ready yet. So that's one of the problems was, I mean, you do hear things about the VA facilities, things like that, but you don't hear where to go. You actually have to go find that out for yourself. And I think that's really disappointing that there isn't those resources that people I agree. need. I agree because, you know, here's the deal. Thank you, by the way, for your service. And that's the whole, you're the reason why I can get out of bed and do and be free and, and go and, and enjoy my life. You're part of that reason. You were for five years. And I, I don't think you guys are thanked enough. I don't think you guys are compensated enough. I certainly don't think you get enough help. And if I can do anything for you by promoting your book, by letting you get your story out, by hopefully helping someone who hears this, I've even one person, and you, that's very cliche to say, but it's the truth. And I thank you so much for joining me today because I, I know this wasn't the easiest thing for you to do. No, I, I appreciate the time and the thank yous and things like that. Yeah, well, you're welcome. And like I said, I don't know if you have any plans on going back. Are you finished with the military now? Uh, yeah, I'm finished with the military. I've been out for the last uh, 10 years. Uh, right. As I said, I went back to college. I got my degree in business administration and um, I'm happy where I am right now. Good. Yeah. But you know what? That's the thing. I think people that don't go through what you go through is never a bad idea for people to get counseling, to be honest with you. So the fact that you 
are getting it and hopefully keep with it. I think it'll only make you feel better about everything. Um, It's a terrible thing what war can do to people. Well, Eric, tell the listeners where they can find your book. And if you're on social media, if they can contact you, if they have any questions, tell me all of the things that you're on. Uh, Yes, my book is on Amazon. It is available in Kindle and paperback. Okay. I'm also on the website Goodreads. Um, if okay. you go on goodreads.com and type in my book, uh, it'll bring you up to my author page. And on there, you could ask me questions if you have any, and I'll be gladly to answer them. Absolutely. I tell you, I am very excited. So is my husband, too. Uh, read your book. And like I said, if we can help one person, that would be amazing. And I will definitely put everything in my show notes, the link to your Amazon author page and also your Goodreads author page. And uh, like I said, Eric, thank you again for joining me. Thank you for having me. If you like what you heard, please leave me a five-star review. It'll help my podcast out and more people will be able to listen. Also, I am a novelist and write paranormal romance. All my books are available on Amazon.com, so check me out. And you can also reach me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you guys all for your support, and I'll talk to you next week.